Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Stacy Savage to the show. Stacy Savage is the founder and president of ZWS, an environmental consultancy specializing in zero waste and circular economy concepts. ZWS works with leaders in the business, government, and nonprofit sectors who are serious about reducing waste to drive increased profits, deeper customer loyalty, employee empowerment, and a green marketing edge. With 17 years of experience in zero-waste policy development, business implementation, and education training, ZWS has adjusted entire corporate and municipal waste protocols for optimization and has empowered thousands of employees through engaging training sessions, ensuring program success. Stacy, how are you doing today? Hi, Raj. I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you today. Likewise, Stacy. Stacy, where are you currently located? I am just 30 miles east of Austin, Texas. Uh, it's a smaller rural town called Bastrop. <laughs> and I'm guessing, is it as hot as Dallas? We're pretty much at 100 degrees today, I think. Uh, yeah, I think we're probably a little hotter. And um, my area is famous for the pine forests. There's a pine forest out here. And so I think it's, it may even be a little bit more, hum, more humid than, than several regions in the area um, out, you know, in, in Austin. So I, it, it definitely traps in the heat <laughs> with all those trees out here. <laughs> you know, we had that uh, effect here recently. My wife and I were out walking earlier this week in the evening about 9 o'clock. And I was explaining, explaining to her the heat island effect because she was saying mm-hmm. it's still so hot. And I said, you know, the concrete absorbs all the heat in the daytime and at nighttime the heat emanates from the concrete going upwards and so i don't think we're getting below 85 at nighttime now yeah it's it's getting uh, pretty brutal <laughs> it, it it is fortunately we're indoors so that helps so stacy i like to open my show by asking my guests the following question if you were asked to share something interesting about yourself what would it be Huh. Well, one thing that most people don't know about me is that I was a professional dancer and choreographer for about 20 years and, uh, you know, performed in LA and went to global, um, national and international competitions with my dance troupe and, uh, you know, have, was a, a choreographer for, um, Texas high school drill teams that do the halftime routines um, at football games and teaching them their competition routines as well. And uh, so that was a a lot of fun. Got to travel the state and uh, meet all these wonderful um, young women who, who were, um, you know, really exploring their passion for dance, uh, tap, ballet, jazz, hip hop, you know, 
gymnastics, uh, you name it. It was it was part of my repertoire. So that is uh, something that most most folks um, would not know. Just you know, looking at me. <laughs> so, what was your dance of choice? You know, I was more in the lyrical jazz style, and um, and then I'd like to change it up a little bit with some hip hop. <laughs> I got some fun, Very nice. some funky grooves. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we move on, I have to ask you also about the uh, Texas trash talker. That moniker I just kind of gave to myself because you know I'm I am working on you know building a, a brand and a personality around you know talking about waste issues and trash is not sexy. It's not something that people want to talk about. It's not something that people even want to look at, but it is a key driver for optimization within a business or even in the home um, where we recreate as well. So we, we are at a point where we absolutely must look at our waste materials and um, our everyday actions um, and our, our, you know, just cultural habits as well. So the Texas trash talker um, personalities, you know, whenever I do videos on TikTok or whenever I, I uh, you know, take photos, I've always got my, my Texas cowgirl hat on. Um, and, you know, let's let's talk trash is, is basically what what the platform is, you know, and, and helping people understand the waste that they produce drives a direct effect to landfills filling up and, uh, you know, how we're just kind of burning and, and burying jobs whenever it comes to improper um, handling of material discards. So, you know, if you're throwing your soda bottle away or you're throwing your beer can away, uh, we can't get that back uh, really, you know, unless there's there's some intensive processes there to go back and and, you know, dig through a landfill to, to pull out all the recoverable materials that should have never ended up there in the first place. So how can we help people um, develop their, their habits around waste diversion instead of everything going into a hole in the ground, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, regarding you know, landfills. So that's, that's just, um, you know, part of the, the platform is let's talk trash. Let's make it fun. Um, and let's get people energized about switching over their, their thinking habits about the value of material discards. I think people think of things as waste because they don't see the inherent value of that particular item as a commodity. They don't understand the, the tie-in to the economic aspect, the job creation aspect, the aspect where we can stabilize local tax bases, right? We can make and make our, our local tax bases more robust and, and stable. So, um, you know, helping people understand that there's the environmental concern, but on the flip side of the coin, the economics of just throwing everything away is it just doesn't make sense. Um, mm-hmm. So how do we, how do we get folks to view their material discards differently than what they are viewed right now? Because right now they're ending up in landfills and in our oceans, right? So since you mentioned waste, can you give an overview of zero waste strategies? Sure. Uh, Zero Waste Strategies is an environmental consulting firm based here in the Austin, Texas region. 
we consult businesses and local governments um, to use waste reduction to drive increased revenue, uh, deeper customer loyalty, employee empowerment, and to drive a green marketing edge. Um, and so our client list includes uh, companies like Dell, AT&T, Nestle Purina, uh, Petcare, and uh, City of Austin, Kohler, which is the bathroom fixture brand, uh, Unico Properties. Um, we're able to really help these companies understand uh, you know, where their, their waste materials are being generated within their structure, within their business operational structure, see what we can reduce wastes and then, you know, adjust their, their back-end contracts with their trash and recycling haulers, maybe even their compost haulers if they have a compost program uh, implemented. If not, you know, obviously we would help them implement a compost program if, if they do have, um, you know, food waste uh, on site. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a consultancy that works with these businesses and local governments, but we really specialize in zero waste protocols and best practices to drive the circular economy, to uh, really get away from the linear economy of, you know, extract raw virgin materials, process them, transport them, and then the consumer buys what's on the shelf and presented in front of them. That's very linear because whenever that product is old or obsolete, it goes typically would go to, to landfill. So how do we close, you know, take both ends of that linear design um, economy and connect them into a loop and, um, you know, have some, you know, materials be feedstock for other, uh, other types of industries uh, so that they're not going to waste uh, because you put all of this, all of this time and effort and energy and money into the extraction process. Let's give those materials third, fourth, fifth rounds of life. Let's, let's repurpose them, uh, repair them, remanufacture them into other you know, usable products, uh, keep it back flowing into the, the circular economy instead of um, extraction, transport, consumer purchase, and then landfill. So I love the idea of repurpose. And you mentioned some pretty well-known names there. Without without mentioning any particular client, can you share some interesting experiences or conversations you've had with some of your clients? Yes. Um, you know, the one of the biggest problems that it, through my market research and being able to work directly hand-in-hand -hand with uh, the key leadership of, of some of these companies is that you know, a lot of times they're some of the main uh, issues or headaches that they face are being um, presented with a CEO mandate. It comes from the top down, right? And that worker has to figure out how to implement. Um, but a lot of times there's really not um, any funding or enforcement mechanisms in place to make the program work. And so you know, there's a lot of time and effort being put into getting these new zero waste systems into place. But if there's no support or minimal support from leadership, your top executives, um, then a lot of times, you know, workers just don't take it seriously. Um, so I've, I've had, you know, at least two of the companies that, that I did mention came to me out of uh, panic, 
just, we have to get this program into place by this certain date. Um, it's a corporate mandate from the CEO. Um, I don't know where to start. So it's either they don't know where to start or they are, they've got great intentions, right? But they're just so overwhelmed with the day to day that who has time to put a new program into place. <laughs> and then the, the third thing that I find is that they are afraid of messing up this, this CEO mandate, um, you know, and it's all on their shoulders, but they don't have any funding or enforcement. And so when you roll out these types of programs and you don't have the employee buy-in, um, you're really just not going to see much success. And so really getting, um, you know, the, the employee buy-in through making it fun. You know, again, nobody likes to talk about or think about or look at their waste. And it also requires um, habit change. It requires individual habit change and it requires corporate culture change. And so you think about this huge ship that you have to turn around whenever you're implementing these waste diversion programs. You have to start immediately with training um, staff and also making it a making it a policy or a personnel policy um, agreement. So when you bring a new person on to staff, they usually have to sign agreements for working for your company. If you're not putting into the personnel policy agreement that I will follow the recycling and compost standards, um, you know, and that I will do my best to align with these policies, and um, then you're, you're really not going to have that agreement from the get-go. And I think that's really key piece that a lot of companies are missing is that they're not adjusting their personnel policy agreements um, because that gives management leverage to say, hey, you know, you agreed to this policy, but I did over the course of the last three weeks, I've seen you put your, you know, your reusable or your, your recyclables into the landfill trash system. So, you know, let's go back and revisit this. Let's retrain you on this. Maybe it needs to be part of the training program uh, up front because this is going to help reduce contamination and your bins as well. If there's a certain level of contamination, then your recycling hauler is just, you know, it's, they're going to, it's going to be deemed too contaminated and all the effort that you put into not only having the bin accessible, having your signs up, uh, training, um, it's all going to go to literally to waste because if it's too contaminated, uh, because people aren't sorting properly at the, at the source, at the point of separation there on site, then it's going to be landfilled. And that is an, an unfortunate scenario, but recyclers just cannot deal with a certain amount or beyond of contamination in their bins. So, you know, I would say that, that those are the kind of the top headaches that we like to address for, for our clients is giving them that launch pad of where to start. What are the easiest, uh, most accessible kind of bang for buck steps in order to, to launch that, that program and uh, really hold their hand and walk them through it. Unfortunately, during COVID, you know, we're, we're having to shift from uh, an on-site approach uh, to more of an online uh, training approach for executives and, and key um, decision makers within a corporate structure. So I really like the idea of the launch pad that personnel policy agreement is an excellent example. Can you share one or two more examples of perhaps tactical steps that you help with your clients to lead them to success with their zero waste strategies? Um, yeah, actually, we had a, um, a 
client uh, who has booked us for the last four years in the brutal Texas heat, which we're not, I'm not complaining at all, very grateful to have their business, but, um, you know, providing these on-site waste audits where we're up to our elbows in their trash bags that have been collected overnight by the janitorial crew and put aside for us so that we can go through and pick through every single trash bag um, and recycling bag and really try to to audit that that waste because they need that information in order to get lead certification. And if folks for folks who don't know, I think back in 20 was it 2016, uh, lead standards were um, built out in a more robust way by including zero waste protocols. So in order to get your strongest lead certification, um, there needs to be a zero waste aspect um, to to your approach in order to get that certification now. And so, for you know businesses that that employ maybe a sustainability director or a sustainability engineer who maybe they graduated ten years ago, five years ago even, and they understand uh, the key. Um, decision-making around energy and water conservation and those protocols, they were not really taught about waste management or how to divert waste or how to even do waste reduction measures. Uh, So now they have to implement that, but they, again, may not know where to start. Um, So that's where we would come in to bring our expertise to the table. Uh, So this client in downtown, excuse me, downtown Austin, uh, needed waste audits. And uh, so we, for the past four years, we've shown them um, our waste audit measurements and we've shown them year on year improvement. And what that points back to is that they're doing better at training. They're doing better at um, having more accessible bins for people so that, you know, sometimes we get a, a little lazy and if the recycling bin is 10 feet away and I've got a soda can and the, the landfill trash is right next to my desk, well, which one am I going to use, especially if I've got a full plate and I've got deadlines and, you know, wherever I can save time. Uh, so it, sometimes uh, we do tend to get a little lazy <laughs> if, if the bins are not as readily accessible as we need them to be to make the proper decision with handling the, the materials that are in our hands at that point in time. And so we, um, you know, did these waste audits four years in a row. We've been able to show them year-on-year improvement. We've been able to show how their recycling rate has increased. Um, we've been able to, to give them additional suggestions in our reporting. You know, we drafted like a, I think last time was like a 17-page report just on this, you know, one, one facility and uh, showing them that historical data as well really helps them uh, with, you know, the charts and the graphs and being able to relay the information to their office space renters because the office space renters are the ones who are making the waste really. Um, And so really being able to relay the information showing where they've improved and where improvement can happen, you know, more uh, is, is a big piece to to what we do as well. Showing those, if you're not going to measure it, you can't really calculate it. You can't really tell the story of what's happening on site at your building. And you can't really relay the importance of the program and, and how it is and um, how it empowers 
uh, the workers on sites, not only the, the building management, but the, the clientele, the clients that rent office space there, really showing them, hey, we're all in this together. Uh, this is how we're going to drive these numbers higher for recycling rates. Um, you know, we need your buy-in. Uh, let's do more training. That that kind of thing that that uh, really shows them uh, the aspects of improvement in their program and where we need to focus next time or this, you know, the following budget year. So that that reporting in, uh, was really really important for them, and it also allowed them to continue their lead um, their lead certification as well. Thank you for that example. Now, earlier in the conversation, you briefly touched on an online training program. Yes. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yes. Like I said, you know, we have traditionally over the last seven years since our business was founded in 2013, uh, we have been, we've relied on being on site and really, you know, talking to the key stakeholders, the key uh, employees that help run kind of the green programs, um, talking to the procurement department, the legal department, the finance department, the, the waste and facilities maintenance department, uh, being able to interview these folks face to face, uh, has really been to get their key insights, right? It's really been part of, part of our strategy in order to, uh, detail what is really happening on site for the upper management, um, who is really asking for these programs to be implemented. And so, uh, it, now that we're in a COVID world, uh, we're having to shift everything to more of an online training platform. And uh, through my market research, I've identified six key headaches, major headaches for all industries across the board. I've, I've interviewed, um, you know, my, my target market, uh, my target kind of clientele um, avatar, which is kind of a uh, a key decision maker, also someone who who deals with uh, waste contracts uh, for a, a specific corporation um, or, you know, within a local government and really interviewing them with a very, very detailed forward thinking questions and and really getting down and psychological about how they how they view their waste and where they can really cut back on their waste issues or, or reducing you know their waste. And so I've been able to build out six training modules uh, that have this content uh, in them that come from these, these key insights that most facilities are having to deal with and may not know where, you know, where the remedies lie. And so this training program, uh, you know, would be like a, a, a 12-week pro- training program. We can, you know, obviously speed that up a little bit um, if that's uh, too long, but we can take your hand, walk you through and going online at your own pace, you know, you can review it. And then, you know, the following week after you've watched the training module, the training video, uh, you know, you map out your questions, you map out things that are specific for your site. Um, And then uh, the week afterwards, after you've done your homework um, that I give you, then we go into a kind of a, a support call. And the support call is, you know, can last up to two hours if, if we needed it to, to really address all of your issues regarding what you learned in that training module and how it directly applies to your facility. And, um, you know, go over things that we may not have covered in the training module that, that you still have questions about. And so really um, make helping you feel very supported in putting together these programs and, um, you know, really come out the hero 
uh, once you're done with the, the training program, come out, coming out the hero for your facility where you can help drive increased revenue. You can get your employees engaged and empowered around these issues to make individual habit change. Once they come back to the office, once COVID is, you know, at that place where, where it's, where it's um, kind of dying down and, and we're feeling a lot more safe and we're getting back to office routines you know, people need to go back into the office feeling confident um, that they're implementing the proper programs for their specific site and that they understand the strategy strategies and how to get their employees involved um, and, and how to help their employees take ownership of those programs so that they are successful. That's a just a kind of a, a key, you know, higher level overview of, of what this training program would look like. It helps these uh, folks who are responsible for putting these programs into place walk back into the office with confidence to make sure that they are uh, doing it correctly and doing it correctly for their specific site. Again, every business is different. Every business waste stream is different. Every business hauler contract looks different. Uh, so there's there's a lot of, of spe- specifics that need to be addressed in the support calls that happen after you review the training module and do your homework. Um, so we'll be launching that uh, very soon. And um, I'm working with a, a marketing team so that we can get, you know, tie it up into a little, a nice little package, put a, a big red bow on it and say, you know, here, come and get it. <laughs> We've got the information here for you uh, so that, that you are, um, that you're marching into your office with, uh, with assured confidence that, that you're, you're going to do it right and that you're going to be, um, you know, the, the, the hero of, of the waste, <laughs> the waste portion of your business. Maybe you're, maybe, uh, you know, a little bit down the road, you're able to save a couple thousand dollars for the bottom line, you know, great. Uh, so that's every, every business likes to hear that. Where can we find that, that cash in your trash? <laughs> so I like the idea of cash and trash mm-hmm. without going to too much detail. Can you list the six key headaches just in case there's someone listening and has an aha moment that, you know what? Those are one of my headaches, and how can I, you know, perhaps uh, engage in your program? Sure. So the six key headache areas that I have found through my market research is um, one is the lack of employee training and employee engagement, getting their buy-in. Two is really uh, solidifying your business integrity. People want to buy from companies that have integrity and. Uh, we want to make sure that your sustainability is um, an integral part of your operations. Um, another one would be um, community involvement regarding, uh, you know, local job creation. Um, how how do we, you know, take what what is coming out the back end of our own facility um, and selling on the commodities market what is sellable, like your compressed cardboard and metals and that type of thing, but also, um, you know, getting that back into the system and to create jobs in the local area. Um, Another would be reduction versus recycling. Um, A lot of companies go straight for recycling and that is a cost and they don't focus on reduction or reuse first. And there's also a lot of other Re's in there, RE's, you know, the, the three R's. There's a lot more in that, like remanufacturing, repurpose, um, 
resoiling, you know, which is comes from composting. Uh, there's a lot of more re's that we don't talk about that are more cost saving and free. Um, but whenever we get down to the recycling part of it, that's where you have to start spending money. And so what can we do further upstream to uh, implement all the re's <laughs> in order to uh, reduce the waste before it heads to even the recycling bin? And then there's a lot of headaches around, you know, is recycling versus landfilling? Is it cheaper to landfill than to recycle? Uh, that may be, and it's a business decision. Um, but I know in Texas, it's cheaper to recycle than it is to landfill. So why are we not uh, really pushing that? Um, and then businesses have a, an issue with how to tell their story. Green storytelling is really the key for the millennial and Zoomer generation, Gen Z. Um, they don't like to be called Gen Z anymore because Z is the last letter in the alphabet. Um, and they don't want to be the last generation. But if we're not changing our if we're not changing our corporate culture, if we're not changing our structure, if we're not changing and optimizing for the next generation, um, then they're not going to give you their business. So how do we do our green storytelling uh, to those generations that are going to be your next boom in consumers? Um, how are you going to keep your business relevant for them to purchase your products? It has to have a green story storyline. Um, and then, you know, just mainly just perceptions around waste, just how people view the materials that are in their hands and not understanding the economic impacts whenever they mishandle them improperly. Right. Uh, so really just bringing about um, the perception of waste, personal habit change and corporate culture change. Um, how do we implement that to to uh, really drive that green marketing edge, that green storytelling? I appreciate you going through that list. Staying on the topic of storytelling, you know, the crux of our conversation is the why behind what you do. Mm -hmm. So tell me your story. What's your mm -hmm. why? Why are, why are you so engaged in zero waste? How did you start? And what <laughs> keeps you going every day? Well, um, you know, I grew up in the southeast Texas uh, region called the Golden Triangle, Beaumont, Port Arthur, um, Orange. And uh, it's right you know, maybe 45 minutes away from the Louisiana border. It's on the Gulf Coast. And Port Arthur is also considered the oil and gas mecca of the country. And I, Port Arthur is my birthplace. I lived there until I was two and my family moved to a neighboring town. But my parents both still worked at the refineries for a collective 75 years minimum. My dad still works at Chevron. My, my mother worked at Texaco. Um, so these are major plants and, you know, unfortunately by working there and, you know, not just my parents, my extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, and, you know, it's honestly one of the best paying gigs in town, but also they were complicit in polluting our own community. And I don't blame them because of that, you know, it was a more lucrative position uh, to have out of the plant. It was more stable um, everybody had families to raise and put through college. So I definitely don't blame them, but it was, you know, uh, economics over environment. It was, um, always a, why does it have to be a trade-off? And, and, you know, it's not just my own, my own parents complicit. They, <laughs> it was my government, you know, local governments giving these huge tax subsidies to corporations that came in to pollute and pollute historically black and brown communities. So there's an environmental justice around, around these issues as well. And, um, you know, I, I 
we were kind of an apolitical family, didn't really talk much about politics or, uh, you know, human rights or, or any, you know, none of the really like current issues of the day. Um, and so I, I just grew up kind of oblivious. I thought brown, hazy skies and rotten egg smells wafting through the air was normal. Everybody grew up like that, right? But I had no idea growing up that it was the actual um, chemical plants and, and um, uh, gas or you know oil refinery, uh, refineries down the road that, that was really making our, our air quality so poor. And, you know, I just <laughs> graduated high school, went to college, UT Arlington up in the Dallas area and, um, you know, moved to Austin after that in like 99 and really just, just got a job waiting tables. You know, that's where I got my gift of gab, I think is <laughs> waiting tables and bartending and, and customer service and um, just really helped me with, with communication and, and expressing, you know, my, myself as well as being very personable with people from all walks of life. Um, and so I, I finally one day found a job ad in the back of the Austin Chronicle, which is kind of like the free cool hippie paper around here <laughs> that, um, you know, talks a lot about arts and music and film and, and current events and social justice and that type of thing. And so I looked at one of the ads and there was a job placement and it said, get paid to fight the man. And I was like, yes, wait, who's the man? Right. I was so oblivious and I was 28 years old at the time where I, I took this job and I went in for an interview. They took me out into the field. We went door to door and I fell in love with it. I got to talk to people at their homes, educate them about the environment some of the local issues that were happening right in their own backyard, getting them activated and, and really collecting, the, uh, you know, pulling together the, the voice of the, the collective um, community in order to put pressure on public officials or corporate polluters. So I was really trained to um, address the, the issues. And we did a lot of protesting. We did a lot of, you know, street theater demonstrations. Um, I, you know, organized flash mobs within uh, several Walmarts throughout the country regarding electronic uh, waste take back, you know. Uh, so, and, you know, we were, we were, we organized so thoroughly uh, across Texas, especially in central Texas, that we got Dell on board with supporting legislation that would require electronics manufacturers of computers to take back and responsibly recycle their own equipment for free for consumers statewide. And so that, that bill passed in 2007 unanimously through the Texas house and Senate. Um, and it was because we had Dell on board. You know, I, I went door to door and I spoke directly to Dell's CFO, not knowing who he was after I gave <laughs> my, my rap at the door there he was like, you know, I'm the CFO for Dell. Right. And I was like, Nope, didn't know that, but here's the letter you know, here's a letter writing opportunity that we're giving to all your neighbors to write a letter to Dell. They received over 10,000 letters from our campaign saying, why aren't you taking this stuff back? It's toxic. It doesn't belong in landfills. And that means the citizen is putting the bill financially. Right. And so we passed that legislation unanimously. Um, Governor Perry, then Governor Perry signed it into to law. And then two years later, we did it again. We got um, Thompson on board. Uh, and Panas I believe Panasonic um, to pass TV recycling legislation in Texas as well. 
we only got six no votes in the Senate and we got 12 no votes in the House. And you got to remember, we have 181 legislative districts in Texas. And so, you know, only 10% of the lawmakers said no. So it was a really big victory. Uh, it's administered through the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, which is our state run, our EPA, kind of EPA. And um, to date, uh, over 300 million pounds of electronics have been diverted from landfills in Texas. Um, and this stuff has lead, mercury, arsenic. It's really bad for the environment. And uh, it just doesn't belong there. So this is really what kind of partially in Texas spurred the cradle to cradle movement. Um, because this is extended producer responsibility. It is a key component of zero waste, getting the producers of these, of these products to be responsible for the end of the life of their own products, rather than putting the onus on the resident or county landfills or, you know, whatnot. And, and so uh, that was a, a key victory for us. And, um, you know, after that, I just, um, I was the the program director, statewide program director, legislative director, and, and I, I really wanted to advance my career, but I just didn't have anywhere to go because the executive director had been there for 20 something years and she wasn't going anywhere. And that was the, you know, next level up. So there, I really kind of hit a ceiling there. And, and I said, you know, what else can I do? And so I ran a couple of political campaigns, one for Austin City Council, and I ran a Texas House District race uh, just north of Austin. And Needless to say, we lost both because it was so completely divisive. And I was used to, you know, I was with the, the environmental campaign nonprofit for nine years. We worked with everybody who had buy-in. Um, so we were a nonpartisan group. I was used to working with conservatives and ultra liberals and businesses and local governments. I was, I was used to pulling people together. The political campaigns were so divisive and, you know, based on opposition research and mudslinging. And I just, I, it just left a really bad taste in my mouth. I didn't have a passion for it. Unfortunately, we lost both races because I, I, you know, honestly just, I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> so I was uh, just sitting at a, a stoplight ready to turn into my neighborhood. And I was just, you know, daydreaming off into the, the void. And it just kind of hit me, you know, all of a sudden I, I got smacked with reality. I'm like, well, Stacy, you know, all the haulers, you know, the city council, uh, all the council members, you know, all their aides. Um, you've worked with them for years. Uh, you know, all the environmental heavy hitters across the state, you know, you know, all the community groups, why aren't you the main hub or resource for kind of zero waste uh, expansion across you know the city and and that's exactly what I did. I I went the next day and and I purchased uh, my my DBA uh, at the county and and we were off to the races. So um, yeah, it was it was uh, just that that kind of smack in the face, if you will, when I was sitting at a stoplight. I never saw myself as an entrepreneur. I always saw myself as working for somebody else. I didn't really have anything passionate about that I could lead on until I found founded zero waste strategies and I could start working with companies individually. And I started to see them as, you know, Joanne in the accounting department, right? It was uh, Becky in the legal department. It was uh, John in the janitorial department. It wasn't just this huge corporate monster that was pumping out all these pollutants into our community that, you know, I had experienced earlier on in life and that I had been trained to, you know, really attack. 
um, the polluters during my, my nonprofit role. But what I started to see as a business owner on the other side of the coin is that these companies are run by people who care. People who live in their own cherished communities are part of their, their involvement in the schools and, and whatnot, um, that they've got friends and family in the area. It's, it's not just this nebulous, you know, corporate monster. It's people run these corporations. And I know it's a novel idea, but it was really a big revelation for me as a businesswoman as a business owner who had to address the person in order to address the pollution. Right. And so that was, that was the big aha moment for me. So that's a pretty amazing story. What are some of the valuable lessons that you've learned on your journey? Oh, valuable lessons. Wow. There, there are a lot. Um, you know, I had to, as a business owner, I had to completely switch my thinking. I, for, 15 years I had been in the nonprofit sector or the political sector. And let me tell you, nonprofit folks just do not get paid. You know, it's not a lucrative position. You're really there because your, your passion is driving you and, and you make uh, sacrifices within your own budget, within your own life in order to maintain a livable, uh, you know, uh, existence on not very much money. And so it was really difficult for me as a bis- business owner to switch my thinking from having that scarcity um, view uh, of life, you know, living in scarcity of, am I going to, it's paycheck to paycheck kind of thing, um, in order to switch my thinking over to the thinking of a, an established businesswoman and getting paid what I am worth because it took me 17 years to build up my expertise. And the vast majority of that expertise was hands-on and uh, you know, providing leadership within our local Austin community, helping pass local ordinances for business recycling, curbside composting, uh, construction and demolition, waste debris recycling. You know, These were um, serving on the, the local zero waste advisory board that vets zero waste policy before it gets to the desk of city council, you know, really, really having my, my hands deep into the the policy aspect of it as well. So like I said, hands-on experience, it took me 17 years to develop this expertise. Um, and so getting paid what I was worth without feeling guilty was a major, major breakthrough for me um, because you know, being that activist mindset, it was, I felt guilty uh, even getting a paycheck because I was so passionate about what I was doing. Um, and so <laughs> really getting getting a, um, a paycheck based on my consulting business and helping these companies alleviate their headaches around where they're getting stuck. And, you know, is they really are so appreciative um, that, I, that I really had to change my, my mindset around money. That was the the biggest thing for me and uh, really charging what I was worth. So I think that leads really nicely into my last question, which is if you could share some advice or words of wisdom with the audience, what would it be? Well, um, for younger folks who may be listening, um, you know, don't, don't wait until you were 28 years old like me to get involved. Um, Things are happening right now. And because of the internet, because of our you know, access to information at our fingertips that we didn't have back in the 80s and early 90s um, growing up, you know, it, it was just a different time. 
just don't wait. Don't you can be involved even if you're not of voting age. You can get involved on campaigns, local campaigns, uh, political campaigns. You can get involved uh, with social media campaigns that where you want to, um, you know, maybe uh, maybe you can write a letter to the editor or you know, and to to provide your own story and why you support sustainability or why you support you know. Um, um, children's rights or why you support, you know, worker rights or whatever issue is most passionate for you, um, you know, still just start taking avenues or, or to, to address those issues that, that um, really drive you in different ways. Maybe it's a podcast like this, <laughs> um, you know, but uh, maybe it's a TikTok video. Maybe you start a series or, or something along those lines. Maybe you, you um, get involved with the, a local Facebook group and, and you start to register voters, you know, whatever you can do in order to get involved. Maybe you go down to city hall or the county commissioner's court and you put in your two cents during the citizens communication portion of those meetings. Um, you know, you, the youth are really the ones who are driving this conversation uh, and they are making us as Gen X, Gen Y, boomers, they're making us better. And But the main issue is that they're going to have to deal with it when we're gone. And they're going to have to be the ones that, that unfortunately clean up our mess because we didn't take the time to to really um, be thoughtful about all the ways that we are creating. And uh, so they, they have every right to be involved as early as possible because we're running out of time. We're you know, down to that, that decade of, of catastrophic climate change issues. And uh, so, you know, what really helping my, my call to action is youth involvement um, maybe there's a local Sunrise chapter um, in, in your area. Look for Sunrise. Um, this is part of the, the um, you know, look to, look to your, your leaders um, with the indigenous communities. Uh, maybe there's some indigenous rights issues that, that you're really uh, wanting to get involved in and in supporting those, those communities. Maybe it's water rights. Uh, maybe it's solar energy. I'm, I'm not sure whatever uh, floats your boat, but people need to try different tactics that, that, um, mesh well with um, their capacity, right? Um, and and also their their age of involvement. So you know, finding things that are age appropriate to get involved in uh, different tactics is is going to be key. But getting involved as early as possible. Don't wait like I did. Um, so that's that's one key thing that I could uh, put out that kind of call to action to the youth. But um, also, you know, we <laughs> we need to be um, as, as older citizens, as older residents, we, we need to be leading the way as well. We, we should never rely on the youth to push us to be better. We should be better for them just because they're the next generation inheriting our problems. And so what are we doing in order to address those problems before they have to inherit them? Um, and so that comes again with personal accountability. It comes with corporate culture change and, um, you know, it, it really, uh, stems from um, what we're leaving behind. What's your legacy? Uh, so I really want people to think about what is what is the legacy? What am I leaving behind for, for the next generation? So I appreciate both of those. Get involved and mm -hmm. think about your legacy. Mm -hmm. Stacy. I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank and you I for look the opportunity. Forward, thank you. And I look forward to the continued success of Zero Waste Strategies and catching up with you again soon. Yeah, absolutely. And folks can reach us at zerowaste.org that's the digit not the word 
Uh, so zerowaste.org. I will put the link to your website in the show notes. Thank you again, Stacey. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.